podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to our round two weekly review show for the 2024 Guinness Men's Six Nations Championship here on the KLNS Rugby Podcast. After a fantastic weekend, we have an excellent panel ready to run over the highlights and lowlights of the second round. Joining me tonight, we have two returnees. Rejoining after their prior appearances, we have Jeff Neville and Yeston Thomas of the Provincial State of Mind and Osprey's Eerie podcast, respectively. So welcome back, lads. How are you keeping? Good, good. Now, Jeff, thank you very much. And yourself, Yeston, how are you? Yeah, I'm all good. Um, yeah, so it's nice to be talking about rugby. For those who have listened to the Osprey's Eerie podcast, there's quite a couple of tangents in there, but that's all <laughs> fun. So it's always nice to switch back uh, in a way, obviously, as someone that wants to be a journalist. So um yeah, it's nice to talk some rugby. The only the only caveat we can put in is there wasn't a huge amount of rugby played on Saturday for all the games that were on, but could be worse. At least at least they were action packed in their own way. And we will we'll start with Sunday afternoon's action as Ireland took their business in Dublin against the Italians. Tries from Jack Crowley, James Lowe, Jack Cohn, and Calvin Nash at two for player of the match, Dan Sheehan, helped the home side to consecutive bonus point wins. Coming out thirty six to zero victors, Jeff. I'll start with yourself. Like so often, these games they're swept under the carpet due to, you know, kind of a bit of hubris towards Italy in particular. But when you look at how the new combination, Sean, defensive clean sheet as well for the first time since first time since nineteen eighty seven or something, the result kind of felt more impressive than even the scoreline suggested. Yeah, I suppose so. And um, I think anybody taking Italy, um probably not at face value, are doing them a disservice at the moment. Like we saw what they did against England there last week or two weeks ago now, whatever it may be. But, you know, they've, they're they getting their system in, in order, I suppose. They have a new coach coming in, etc. who want to put his own stamp on it. But I think, unfortunately, given what we know they can do and what they're capable of doing there on um, Sunday, they didn't well, they weren't allowed fire a spark. I think that's probably the, the biggest compliment we can pay Ireland is uh if you look at Italy set piece, the scrum was bombed, the lineup was bombed, the first phase ball, regardless of where they had it, was wasn't they didn't have front football off first phase, etc., which just makes it really difficult to play. Um two twenty-two entries and the second one was eighteen minutes into the game. So I mean, they're going over an hour without touching the Irish 22 so in my eyes anyway you can look at all the players etc and you can say that they all did well because they did but biggest winner probably for me at the weekend was uh, was Easterby you know um, there's an awful lot of talk about his um, there's an awful lot of talk about his defensive system etc but if you look at the last 12 Six Nations games and you look at try scored Ireland have less than half the next best competitor for tries conceded. I think it's tw- they've conceded maybe 12, um, 12 or is it the last 10 games, is it? Um, 12 in the last 10, 10 to France's yeah. 27, I think it is. Yeah, well, I mean, that speaks for itself. And even if you just look at their discipline as well around the pitch, like in terms of, you know, the I know O'Mahony got a yellow card there against France, like, but in general, their discipline around the pitch is very, very good in terms of their own commanding of the offside line, etc. So, Overall, I think the biggest winner is probably going to be Easterby there. Um, you look at the game that Crowley had was very good. Baird was very good. McCarthy again was very good. Um, but like you, you, you could literally look at every player there who who lined out on Sunday and, and pick out positives for them. You know, um, I felt McCluskey really took his chance well. Um, 
I think people who don't watch Ulster maybe might have been surprised by what McCluskey can bring. Um, maybe even people who haven't been watching McCluskey play for Ireland in the last while because he hasn't put a foot wrong for Ulster or Ireland in the last, Jesus, I don't know how long, but felt he was very good. So, yeah, overall, yeah, the players delivered, etc. in what was a very flat game. Um, it was kind of tough to watch at times because you're waiting for a spark and maybe that that try that was disallowed would have given that spark that was so desperately needed. But ultimately, yeah, it was, it was um, business as usual, I suppose, wasn't it? Yeah, there was that kind of sense to it. And I think the fact that they raced into that early, what was it, 12 or 19 point lead early in that first half, you did feel like they're just going to go through the motions and get it done. But there were more impressive aspects to it. As you said, the likes of Stuart McCluskey thought he, he combined really well with Robbie Henshaw. As well, Ryan Baird went really well. Joe McCarthy again, Jack Crowley again. And that's kind of what we wanted to see. And it kind of brings me on to my next point, Justin, because so much of the talk, both here and abroad, has been about Ireland's newer players, Jack Crowley chief amongst them. But himself or, or others, who impressed you on Sunday in, in green? Yeah, I thought Crowley, um, he, he had a good he had a good game and in Marseille the week before and it, and everyone thought could he back that up in a way I think yeah. that, that was like the main outcome for this one and he certainly did I think he's now got a trademark with that pass where he, he looks out the back and, and plays a, a short pass to the uh, to whoever's on his outside he's running a quite a hard line so yeah I thought Crowley was, was very good uh, I've been a big fan of Stuart McCloskey for quite some time um, you know even even by watching everyone else today you think oh he's a he's a very good rugby player, not just because of his size and what he can do. Um and then and then you obviously got mentions to the pack there, Ryan Baird. I thought he had a good game of six. Um probably, you know, maybe stood stood out a bit more in a way for an own individual performance. Um and then you got someone like Joe McCarthy who's just one really big second row. And I think he's got a top top potential about him in the next few years. And I thought the scrum went well, you know, full credit to Andrew Porter, full credit to Finley Beadlem, who, who scrum as well in our first half, but it was a more of a collective effort by Ireland in a way. And and they did really well to shut Italy out because at times Italy are a really dangerous side. I know they made a couple of changes, like bringing Tommy Allen down to the bench and, and making a switch of scrum half, but but it's still really impressive to nil someone in the test match. You know, you don't really you don't see that much often, especially in the Six Nations. So it's probably a disappointing element behind Italy's performance on the whole. But I thought Ireland were really clinical to begin with. And then they, they did really well defensively to shut them out. Yeah, and, that, and that's it. They kind of stopped them at source as well. Like I think like Paolo Garbisi had something like 12 carries in the game, but it's not that he meant to carry the whole time. Sometimes there was just that shooter in his face. And the best thing you can do is just recycle the ball and go from there. And Like a lot of Baird and McCarthy's work, no. I was in the stands and I haven't got a chance to watch it back. So obviously it changes. But a lot of their good work was just being defensive shooters and just being a nuisance at times like that and getting initially's faces. And even, you know, a lot got said about the kicking game at the start of the game, but Ireland didn't kick loosely in a way that Italy could attack from either, you know, with the likes of Capuzzo back there, um, Monte Ioane. They didn't did really have a sniff. And Ireland, ultimately, they won the territory battle, they won the rook battle, they won the set-piece battle. And all in all, it did lead to that convincing win but as well as that as he said the the defensive shutout as well which was crucial I think Italy's last visit to the Ireland 22 was something like the 15-20th minute or something like that which 
kind of says it all, really. But Jeff, we kind of focus on the individuals and all that as always, because as he said, Stuart McCluskey was one who stood up. Um, Robbie Henshaw as well had another good game at 13. And because of injuries to say Hugo Keenan or the returning Gary Ringrose, there's probably a few selection decisions that they could may- maybe be having a bit of a headache on. I know it's early days, but do you think if Hugo Keenan's ruled out firstly, who do you see coming in and, and do you see Robbie Henshaw holding on to the jersey at 13? Um, if Ringrose is fifth, I see him coming back in, uh, to be honest with you, because he's just a defensive captain. And like, if you, ha- I, well, this is just me, my own thoughts, but I think if you have Gary Ringrose fit, you select Gary Ringrose. Um, he's just so good. It means that I think if Ringrose is fit, I think we would, if Ringrose was fit, I should say, I think we would have seen, um, um, a center at 23 at the weekend rather than another back three player but um, it wasn't to be I think if Keenan is is hurt we'll probably see Jesus yeah that's a tough one who would you put in at 15 if Keenan's not playing because Hansen's not there either he was probably next I was next thinking in. Frawley I oh Frawley imagine. yeah actually yeah it's actually funny that Frawley didn't get played against uh, Italy as well you would have thought that he would have got time especially if um they're looking at budding in the new 10, etc. But I don't know. Listen, not the new 10. Crow- Crowley's the new 10. But like, if you're looking at your depth, etc., and where you want them to play, it seems that Frawley can't really get a nailed down position for Leinster or Ireland, um, be it 10, 12, 15, or whatever it may be. But yeah, Frawley's not a bad shout. I don't know if starting him at international at 15 is going to be fair. But um, yeah, it's, it's a funny one because, like, I mean, your best player at 15 is Keenan and your next best is a half at Keenan. Um, so hopefully it's not too serious. But I don't think there will be too many selection headaches, to be honest, because when you look at what Farrell does, it's very much money in the bank. It's very much tried and trusted. And it, like if we were going into a Grand Slam game tomorrow, you could probably name 22 out of the 23. Maybe one guy, they might go 6-2, which I doubt. But like maybe that 23rd player mightn't be who you think it is. But... You, you could pretty much name it. And I very much believe that Ireland are in win now. Like they're, they're going for back-to-back Grand Slams. Like they mightn't talk about it or they might say, oh, we're not thinking about it. But Jesus Christ, they definitely are. Like, So it's very much a win now situation. So I don't see too much experimenting. I think if we were going to see it, we would have seen it against Italy. People are talking about Wales as if to say like, oh, well, Wales are one of the weaker teams in the tournament. But they've lost two games granted by a total of what was it three three points so like I wouldn't yeah. turn around and be like oh <laughs> like I wouldn't turn around and be like Wales is a given um, not by any stretch because even sure when they were what was it 26 down or 27 down against Scotland they still they still put the shits up them like um, and then they did very well against England too just that blitz D kind of got them in the end but It'll, it'll be very interesting to see what happens against Wales. I think they'll go as locked and loaded as they can. So for me, if Ringrose is fit, Ringrose will be in there. Um, if Keenan's fit, Keenan will be in there. And if he's not, I don't know. Um, do you put Nash back there, maybe? Um, there's definitely someone I'm forgetting about now that's someone who's listening. There's, and is like there's Stockdale and Larmer, as well as the other wings in the squad that have played 15 at international level. Larmer, under a high ball wouldn't be hectic. Especially um, with Cam Winnett in great form. And we'll probably get on to him later. 
do you put Stockdale back there? Again, defensively hasn't been lighting it up in the last season and a half or so. So, yeah, to be honest, I don't know. Uh, Kaelin, I could um, just make up a make up the answer, fluff it out some more like I'm probably already doing. But um, I, I, I very much think if, if Ireland have a full clean bill of health that they will go with that. Um, but I think an interesting one for me as well will be the second row. Like, does McCarthy start alongside Byrne again? I think so, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think Ryan is will will be on the bench again. Um, and uh, Keane Healy probably comes back into sub loose head again, I'd reckon, which um, again is another worry. Probably one of the most questioned but least answered worries that we can probably talk about. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely that. And it's funny you mentioned the bench there as well, because I was thinking of this for my own content coming up during the week. And it feels like I do agree. I think you can name the Ireland 23 for the most part. But at the same time, if you said to me that we're going with Baird and Henderson and Jeremy Luckman as three of the guys on that bench, I'd be like, yeah, they'll, they'll do absolutely fine. Because in fairness, they are putting their hands up. It's just you need to do a bit more than just put your hands up. And sometimes you just need to get a bit lucky to break into a 23 that's as settled and as competitive as that Irish one as well. And it's a great position to be in, in, in that regard, isn't it? Because ultimately, if you've got like centres, a prime example, four potentially world-class centres in great form and who gets in is more about who was there the week before or who's injured or or whatever. I think if you're looking at the centres alone, your starting centres is Aki and um, Ringrose, to be honest. You, you, like the way Aki's been playing the last while, uh, you, you can't leave out of it. Like if you're going full strength, like you wouldn't leave out of it when the Aki. Like you, you couldn't. No, you, you really could. I think he's probably the most... You see, it's funny because I think on the eye, Bundy's probably more nailed on. But like obviously, Kerry Ringrose is probably a vice captain. He's a defensive captain. These things mean way more than what we see in the 80 minutes on the field as well as that. But we do have other games to run through because we'll talk about Ireland-Wales maybe a little bit later on. But probably most of the headlines of the weekend were in Murrayfield where Scotland needed a last-minute, or France needed a last-minute TMO intervention to claim a second win in their last six in Scotland. Louis Bielbiari's late try proved decisive as the visitors overturned a game-long deficit. Yes, and I'll start with yourself this time. Like, it was hate to use the cliche, but it was a game for the purest for the opening 60, but it was heart in the mouth stuff at the end. And ultimately, neither team really deserved to win, but someone had to, and it was France by the slimmest of slim margins. Yeah, just, I think it was, yeah, it's, it's quite hard where you go first when, when trying to look back at that game, obviously you've got the TMO decision, but I don't really want to discuss that because everyone else <laughs> across the planet has discussed that over the last couple of days. But I think with Scotland, and I'm currently writing a piece about this, about this now, funnily enough, they, they took their first try by, by Ben White really well. Really good try. It comes off a box kick, which Jally Ben knocks on. Scotland play three phases and Ben White scores. And you're thinking they, they've done that really well. You know, the French discipline's quite poor. They were giving away a couple of penalties. Antonio gets himself sin-binned. And you think in there, 13-3, with a man in the sin-bin for the next 10 minutes, surely you've got to take three points. 
or if you or if you want to go for the jugular, go for the tap and go because you've got a, a strong carry to get a bit of momentum going and then the pack can maybe do the rest of the work. But going for the scrum is probably the least ideal, except for maybe if you were kicking the touch and just in case the ball kicked dead. But going for the scrum, you know, it it's a bit of a lottery in a way with is the referee going to call a free kick? Is the referee going to call a penalty? And um, Dorian Aldegheri is a fine scrummage in his own right. Just because they've lost Antonio, I'm sure they, I can't remember what they, exactly they did, but obviously Aldegheri came on and, you know, the, the France won the scrum penalty with that. You felt at that stage, if it was 16-3 going into halftime, you've got two scores and you've got a little bit more flexibility in the second half. But going in at 13-3, with a bit of confidence on the French side after winning that scrum penalty, you're thinking there's still something to come in this game. And uh, Bia Bielary takes his try superbly. Obviously, a little bit of debate with the, with the last pass from the Garek, who I thought came off the bench and played rather well for, for a young uh, scrum half. Um, but, you know, the Chipman chase is, is very, very good. And just about, I'd say, France is the victory, mainly because Scotland didn't take... Their chances in the second half. Yeah, that's the thing. Like Scotland did have, they had France on the ground ready to be killed off, and they just refused to put their foot in the throat. It felt like, and even like I was going to get into this anyway, Jeff, because last week we criticized Scotland for probably not shutting up shop and being a little bit naive and going for the kill. And this week, when they probably just needed to be a little bit patient. They kind of shut up shop entirely and probably too much. And you, you look at like the, the DuPont rules, kick tennis that ensued. They were not going to say afraid of what France would do, but they didn't want to play into France's hands too much. And that's understandable. But because of that, eventually when France found a spark, like they so often do, they've done for 20 odd years, 30 odd years, that ended up being Scotland's downfall because they just couldn't break down the French when it mattered then. They kind of ran out of time a small bit. It's almost like Scotland stopped playing. They got to a place where they went ahead and said, okay, let's just protect this rather than continuing what they had been doing that got them there to begin with. It was, to me, when France went ahead, I couldn't understand how, like it was a well-taken try, don't get me wrong, like, but I couldn't understand how Scotland had allowed that to happen. Like, the thing that gets me about Scotland is that how long how long have they been developing this team, et cetera, et cetera. And to be brutally honest, like under Townsend, et cetera, they've got nothing to show for it. Like nothing. And in Six Nations like there last year, they, it was they won the first two games for, I don't know, either the first time or the first time in a very long time, I don't know what it was, um, of the Six Nations. You look at their World Cup, pretty much a disaster. You look at their game against Wales, second half there last week, disaster. You look at this game against France, first half, they did a lot of stuff well. They did, like, some things poorly, but a lot of stuff well. But you look at that second half against France, and you think to yourself, we have France at home on the ropes. Now you said it already, not taking those three points was fucking like, what are we doing here? Like, I know sometimes you you feel that you have a team on the ropes, etc. but like the best way to beat a team is just keep those, those threes ticking over, over and over. Um, especially just before half time. 
So for me, there was just watching Scotland and what they were doing and just refusing to play the way they had been playing that got them there. Like, what What do you say about it? Like, do you say, oh, we came close? Do you say, oh, you know, oh, we we did really well, etc. But like, did you? Like, I, I don't know. I just think when you look at the talent that Scotland have, they're underachieving so much. And that for me was just another example of like you can say, okay, that last try should have been a try or non-try should have been a try. And I get that, like, but at the end of the day, it wasn't. It's um, it's kind of like being on, it's, it's, it's kind of like giving up a lead and then hoping your kicker will kick a 55 meter at the end of the game, like, or like allowing the ref to be in there, allowing it to hinge on a ref's decision when France ultimately bar one score didn't really fire a shot for the entire game. They were making so many errors. One thing that really ground me actually was in the build-up to their score was um, Penno. Penno, I don't know if you remember it, but like he very clearly knocked that ball on. But it was just like called back, whatever, and played on. Again, swings and roundabouts. You know, you get away with some of them, you don't with others. But even then, Scotland had done so much to get themselves ahead to just stop playing and then allow France just to take that game. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I just think when you look at the talent they have, how long they've been together as an international squad, like coaching and players. Like, if you're not putting that kind of game away, when, when, when should a team fear you? You know, like when should you kind of say, okay, um, and even like we could relate it back to Munster, like in Ulster and Lens or sorry, Munster and Leinster. Like there was um. A stat there before, I think it was Ross Byrne had lost one game in 11 or something against Leinster. And you're just like, well, at what point does he start? Like, why would he be afraid of Munster? Why would he be worried about having to go to Toman Park when he just fucking wins, wins anyway? Like, so it's kind of like the same with Scotland. Like, at what point, like, you'll respect the opposition, but at what point do you start fearing Scotland? At what point do you like, okay, Scotland are coming to town, etc.? were properly worried about this rather than just respecting what they could do because for me they should have achieved an awful lot more at this stage and just haven't and that might sound harsh and if there's a Scottish listener listening like I'm well I'm already blacklisted from the weekend anyway so it doesn't really make a difference <laughs> but um, it's it's just when when do you expect more like even if you are a Scottish fan like when do you kind of look at it and say do you know what we should be doing more yeah, no, that's that's kind of true too because like you look at the World Cup, the stat that I always come back to is second half against South Africa, first half against Ireland, they're outscored something like, you know, 40 points to three over an 80-minute span. That, that, you, that just can't happen. Like, like you, look, you look at that, you look at that game against South Africa as well, sorry to put it across you, but like their breakdown was a nightmare. Like, yeah. like an absolute nightmare and they just didn't fix it. So again, something that's obvious is that like the the key part of the game, like if you're losing your rate on, you'll lose the game. And it was a very obvious what needed to be fixed and it wasn't. Um but anyway, we move on. That's true. And yes, and I'll come to you before we wrap up this game, because like both sides, as we mentioned, you know, they're both on one win, but like it feels like everyone's vibes on France are very much down. Everyone's on Scotland is well, they're up in anger in a different way, but that's that's beside the point. But like, it's hard to know. It's hard to know where these teams are at 
And like personally, I think they're both underachieving relative to the first two games they played. Where do you think they are? Do you think they are still in proper contention? Uh, I think Scotland are underachieving. I think mainly because they, they, I think they probably don't know how to maybe seal out a game. They can probably find a way to maybe win the odd narrow game. But when chances arise, like like in the in the game against Wales in round one where they were twenty seven nil up and they let they nearly let that lead slip. And then when you have a such a good chance to go two scores in front against France, then you, you don't you don't get you don't get points and then second half row goes a bit pear shaped. So it's really tough to see where Scotland are at the minute because they've shown really good encouraging signs. And then on the other hand, they let in lead slip. Um, with France, it's a little bit trickier because you've got a real good talent of players. Um, but but obviously they've they've got new coaches. There's a new attack coach there. There's a new line out coach there, and those are probably the two biggest weaknesses of their game at the minute. You know, despite having a brilliant backline, you've got the likes of you know even without Dupont and and Tamaki, you've still got really good players like Jali Bear, Penno. You know, Jonathan Dante's won won the last two Champions Cups, and you you just think surely that's going to click sooner rather than later. So it's going to be interesting to see what France are like near the end of the tournament, um, especially in attack and especially in the line out. Um, but but yeah, at the minute they they're both kind of underachieving in the way, but I kind of see more of a potential with France because they're obviously trying new things with the new coaches. Where you've seen with Scotland, who've had quite a similar coach and set up quite a similar playing group for quite some time now, and obviously something's not clicking fully. Yeah, no, I th- I do think that's fair to be honest. And I remember that just on France's attack, it has been a little bit blunt at times. And I remember this this time last year or during the World Cup, Simon Zebo did a piece on their structured attack piece of analysis for RT, and he kind of just said like, it's not really about the structure, and like that's fine until it's not fine. And there are games like this where you do just want to have something that you can kind of fall back on instead of relying on Penno or, as it turned out, it was his other Bordeaux team at Bialbiari coming up at the moment of magic to win it. And maybe that was an element of the, the World Cup quarterfinal in particular as well. Maybe they are too reliant on that magic and that spark that is so often coming from, from Antoine Dupont. But only time will tell. They have Italy next. You'd imagine they'll, they'll get the win there before they head to Cardiff in round four. Scotland, on the other hand, they have to beat England. You know, they they have to back it up now and they have to show that this loss was more fluky rather than anything else. But it's it's going to be tough. England are a tough team to beat, as, as Wales proved, because on Saturday afternoon, the age-old rivalry between England and Wales was renewed, but a, a classic. It was at Fraser Dingwall and George Ford proved the heroes for England with a late try and penalty, respectively as Warren Gatlin's Wales were left with just another valiant loss. And yes, and I'll start yourself again. Always great to have outside perspective. And as a Welshman, it's, it has been a tough year for Wales. But to be fair, they, they fought hard, they stayed close. Do you think Do you think they can take a lot away? Or, or from your own Welsh perspective, what do you t- take away from this game? I'm glad the question is just about the game compared to the last year of Welsh rugby since you were <laughs> Brutally honest, but we don't have enough time for that. <laughs> yeah, we could we could be here all night. If that was the question, but um, but yeah, you know, if you look if you look at the scoreboard, it reads another defeat similar similarly to the Scotland game. 
but there's still shoots of encouragement amongst that young Welsh side, you know. There's been a lot of chat from both camps about, you know, how both sides are in a different rebuild. But you kind of see more of it with that young younger Welsh side. Obviously with England you've got a, a quite a lot of experience, you know, George Ford, you know, Joe Marler, you know, bringing off Ellis Genge and Dan Cole off the bench, where Wales are, are bringing off and uncapped Archie Griffin from the bench for his test debut. So you can kind of see maybe a little bit more encouragement from a Welsh perspective from that Welsh side. You know, someone like Cam Wynette, who you just mentioned previously, you know, this that's his 17th professional game of rugby. Very similar story to Harry Patterson, the Scottish fullback. That, I believe the weekend was his ninth. So, you know, both those two fullbacks have, have done really well stepping up to the international scene with such few with such little game time on the professional stage. But I thought Winnet again was was very good. Um Alex Mann was was quite solid. Obviously he's got a knack for scoring tries on the international level, which is encouraging to see. And at times Wills did really take, you know, take advantage of that England blitz defence, obviously now under Felix Jones. But there was probably the odd opportunity where Wills could have taken there's a break which Cam Winnett makes uh, during the second half and you kind of think if Josh Adams puts that pass inside or puts a grubber kick through you think that looks like a try um, and obviously he tries to beat the, the on-rushing English defender who tries to give an offload back into Rio Dio who can't quite catch the ball and then a couple of minutes later after a scrum Josh Adams drops the ball and England have a scrum inside well just outside the Welsh 22 and you know Things like that really swing it, especially in a test match. And I think it was probably the difference between the two playoffs as well. You know, nothing against Johan Lloyd. He's been, you know, in fine form for the Scarlets all year, despite them playing quite poorly. But a, a brilliant running threat. Um, uh, but I think Ford kind of showed him what it was like on the international scene in a way. You know, the 50-22 he puts in with about 10 minutes to go is a brilliant piece of skill. And then from that, Grady has a deliberate knock on and there's three points, which was the difference in the end. But there's one slight detail from the first half where the ball goes out the back to Lloyd and he tries to take a step, trying to evade the defender in the way. And then if you look at the clip uh, from the Grady error card, you just see Ford gives them passes just by standing still. And you think if, you know, the difference is in that, if Lloyd had just stood still, okay, there's probably differences in where they were on the field, I think. Lloyd was in his own half at the time. But if he just stood still, similarly to what Ford did, you know, could have created a better attacking opportunity in that particular example. And Ford just kind of like showed in the ropes in the way of what a top level, you know, rugby player that he was. And, you know, in my opinion, I thought Ford should have won man of the match just by his contribution of keeping England in the game, you know, forcing the kicking battle. And their, their experience kind of showed in the final quarter. And experience is crucial. And, you know, we'll get on to kind of bringing it back to Ireland in a minute. But a point was made on the BBC pod today yesterday about, you know, Wales, they made a lot of changes for this fixture last year. Famously, they made like 10 changes for this game. This time around, it was something like six changes. And it it's still a very young squad, even with, you know, Jack Morgan, Dowie Lake, young guys, of course, but, you know, important leaders in the squad also out it feels like a very young squad. And do you think there is an element of if if that's the Wales side that we see in the World Cup, for instance, with bigger, with guys like that, 
do you think that their chances of winning goes up dramatically just by virtue of that experience? Um, I, I, I mentioned it privately to a couple of my friends. I thought if, you know, if Dan Bigger was an ITV pundit on the weekend and he was playing for Wales, I thought that might have just about been the difference be- between them because, you know, having international experience, you know, Johan Lloyd hasn't played that much at 10 before this season. So, it's, you know, it's quite interesting to see how that's going to develop over the next couple of years. And I'm sure Gatland and kicking coach Neil Jenkins will will hopefully help that. And just another mention to Elliot D as well, the Dragons hooker. I thought he was brilliant for the first 55 minutes. And I felt like that, that substitution kind of hindered Wales in a way, um, you know, because the lineup was going well, the scrum was going okay. Um, and more and even more credit to Kieran Azarapi, the Cardiff tight end prop. Um, and, you know, just when, when you saw those two subs parting way, you felt like you could have kept them on for a little bit longer, um, you know, just to keep keep the momentum going in, in the set piece. And obviously with the with the new two the two new people in the front row, Ryan Elias and Artie Griffin, kind of all went a little bit shaky. England started to win free kicks and penalties from the scrum, which is which is obviously the difference. So obviously that young Welsh side is going to learn from the weekend and learn from the the Scotland game in round one. Um, so hopefully that will. Maybe and Gatlin, Gatlin said post match, you know, they're going to be a good side in in two years' time, and hopefully they'll learn from those lessons and and fix on those lessons, and they will become a good side in two years' time. I would, I would believe him. I, I know there's a lot of people down on Wales at the moment, but I do believe. It. I think you look at the the quality coming through. I mentioned, you know, Lake and Morgan previously, but Daffy Jenkins, Christianza isn't available. Um, for instance, but. Jenkins, I thought Jenkins had a good game at the weekend, to be honest. You know, again, he's only 21, he's captain, he's a lot this played, he's performing well. The likes of Cam Winnett, who, who's stepping up to the plate as well, taught Rio Dyers, started the tournament fantastically. Like, these are net positives. Ultimately, these are all net positives for Wales, and it'll it'll take some time. And and Jeff, like, I, I think it for all the talk of, oh, it wasn't a great spectacle, it was kind of what you expected from both teams, given their identity of, of recent times, and just considering that Ireland play Wales and England next up in, in their next two games, what do you think we can expect from these sides relative to Ireland? And if they are to cause us problems, where do you think they'd be? First off, um, I think Wales, I think with Wales, I'm a big fan of what Gatlin said before the tournament, saying that they can win the tournament with these young players. I think it's what they need to hear. Um, we probably like we all know it's probably not true don't get me wrong like there's an element of sensationalism or you know media like just talking to the media etc about it but ultimately uh, I think if you're a player especially a young player and you're in an inexperienced squad like that you want to hear your coach is backing you like if you hear oh yeah you know we'll, it'll be tough here blah 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 well, straight away, it's going to be tough, etc. Whereas if you hear, oh, well, we're going to win it. Like, there's, there's re- they've really nothing to lose. Like, you know, if they lose a game, it's a young squad. If they win a game, it's, geez, fair play, you've won it. So it's kind of win-win in that kind of situation. And when that second half against Scotland there in round one, they went out and played. Like, they had nothing to lose. Like, and there's that old, I suppose, adage that pride is an awful thing. But at the same time, Sure, if they lost by, you know, forty, or if they lost by one, at least losing by one, 
you can say, well, that was an unbelievable second half and you can build on it. And that's what they did against England. Again, went very well. But I think against Ireland, the first thing they'll have to make sure of is that their set piece is working well. We saw there against Italy that that's what happens when you don't have a set piece. Like we, we kind of mentioned it already. So Wales will go heavy on that set piece and making sure it's proper, etc. Um, and after that, then I think it's going to be a case of, well, listen, you're playing, is it the second best team in the world? Second ranked team in the world? Last year's champions, they're going for back-to-back slams. Fucking go out and have a cut. And I think when a team is allowed that freedom, you know, obviously within a framework, etc. But maybe with the, you know, to, to have control of or to have that freedom of, of doing what you want within that framework, I think that's when a team can be really dangerous. So I think with Wales and England, it's two very different threats because Wales will have that framework, etc., but won't be sticking to it like like glue. But with England, we saw what England did to us last year there in that last Six Nations game. For an hour, they were in it, and it was incredibly sticky. Um, England are very good at stopping you from playing rugby at times, and I think that that's what they look to do. Um, I think their defence obviously has another two games to bet in before that before that game or sorry they're they have another game to bet in before that I should say um, England are fourth of course but um, fourth to play I should say but I think that they will really really make it difficult for Ireland to play the game, kind of game they want I think they'll blitz the breakdown which will be that goes a long way stopping Ireland playing um, that shoot up defence as well if Ireland's second layer of attack isn't really on par um England will really look to shut that down, of course, with their wingers coming up hard. And, you know, you can come up narrow all you want and you can shoot up narrow all you want, but an overlap is only an overlap if the ball gets out there. So if they're stopping the ball from getting out there, um, it doesn't matter if Ireland have two over or three over. Ultimately, England, if England can shut it down, they will. So it, it, I think it's two very different threats. Like I, like I said, Wales, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, like, but like there's no real expectation that Wales will win this game. There's maybe a belief within the players and hopefully some of the fans that you can do it. But I mean, like I think Irish fans will be thinking to themselves, Wales at home. Okay. As long as everything, as long as we do everything well, as long as our set piece is well, as long as our structure is well, as long as we're actually on point, like Ireland's attack is very, very good. And we lauded their defense already, but their attack is also pretty good. Um, so I think the, the the Welsh challenge will be one of containing a team that's happy to have a cut, that's happy to play, and that want to play and have that, I suppose, that freedom to, to play and that lack of pressure. Whereas England at home and Twickenham will look to shut it down. There is a bit more pressure on them, so they'll probably stick to the framework. And that again, that blitz D... It's very good at shutting down defences. Like, I mean, South Africa won two World Cups off it. Like, so you can't turn around and say that it doesn't work. It very clearly does. But um, it's it's two very different challenges for me. But ultimately, if Ireland get their set piece right, upset the opposition set piece and make sure that their breakdown is on point as well, um, which is aggressive, which is efficient, etc., um, then it'll go a long way. Like, you look at... That Italy game at the weekend, Ireland's attack and breakdown, over 62% of it was under three seconds, which is outrageous. And if they can 
you know, if 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 you look at against uh, France, I think France was only about fifty one or fifty two percent or something like that. So if, if they can replicate some like what they had against France, even a bit more, etc., I certainly don't see them getting the same parity in the breakdown they did against the Italians. But if they if they can get their breakdown right, their set piece right, and their framework right, I think I do think that they'll come away with a win in both games. But again, it's two very different challenges at the same time. Yeah, no, it is. It is different, and yes, I might just touch on that from a Welsh perspective, heading heading into those games, because when we talked to Mike Petretta on our preview of the Italy game, he said I would take a losing bonus point Dublin as opposed to a four try bonus point, because you, if you can show to yourself that you can stay in this game, and for Wales, it's probably somewhat similar. It's not the exact same, but somewhat similar because they've shown they can stay with with England and they can stay with Scotland. If they can stay with Ireland and potentially get a point, it would be it would be huge. You'd imagine psychologically. So, how important is it that they get a performance in the next game against Ireland, and potentially get more than just performance against France in in round four or yeah round four? Yeah, I think the important the important thing for Wales is they don't want this to be a blowout, like a, a heavy defeat. You know, that's the last thing that anyone in Wales would probably want. They can go up there, you know. They, they obviously they'll probably be fixes to the set piece. Um, they need to ensure as well that they don't run it out from the twenty-two. Um, when occasionally it wasn't on, that was kind of a another key um, issue from the England game where Johan Lloyd is uh, kind of caught in two minds in a bit when England were down to thirteen men from that restart. Um, uh, but obviously it's going to be a tough challenge. Josh Adams alluded it. Is probably one of the, the toughest challenges out there because you know let, let's let's not be frank. I think Ireland are probably one of the on form best teams in the world, um, and you know going out there has always has always been tough. Even when Ireland haven't been firing, you know going to Dublin has, has never been easy. Um, and what Gatlin did say post match at Twickenham that you know this Welsh side is in a bit of a rebuild, and I think Welsh rugby supporters do need to have a bit of patience. Um, because obviously it's not all going to click. You know they're not going to be winning a score from from beating everyone. You know there's going to be some performances where it might not go to plan, or maybe the opposition might show their class, like we've seen Ireland do over the course of the last couple of years. Um, so it's going to be really tough. You know if if they can get the set piece working, you know probably try and maybe play a, a bit more risk as well. You know what in in occasions where they they can. You know, it's really pointless trying to do it off a off a kickoff or a restart. You know, maybe when the opportunity arises, it maybe from from the halfway line up, you know, just outside the twenty two meter line, you're thinking, this is a time to strike. You know, and for the first first half, I thought the rolling more went well. You know, that's another opportunity for them to try and, and sneak a couple of extra meters. So it's probably important to get a good performance in the Dublin. Make sure it doesn't go, you know crazy result like thumping and then you've got a little bit more momentum then going into that France game and you know the old adage you know which French team is going to turn up who knows um, but I mean, I'll expect them to improve in the next couple of weeks you know they've got a week off and they got Italy um, and and then you think you know they might be a little bit more cohesive as a team you know the attacking patterns might work a bit more better um, so they're going to you know come down with a bit more confidence um, 
you know, is is a, is probably a, a re, probably a big target on that France game. I'd say, you know, it's a a big it could be a big scalp if Wales were to maybe you know sneak it. Um, I can't see them sneaking it in Dublin, unfortunately. I think that's probably a step too far for this younger crop of players. But if France continue as they are, you know, set, set pieces a little bit shaky. Um, you know, who knows, especially in, in Cardiff, it, it could be a real, you know, close encounter. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, hopefully it is a close encounter at the very least, because be enjoyable. <laughs> that's, that's all we might be caring about at that stage of the tournament. But we'll finish it up tonight by discussing arguably the, the best game of the weekend, Friday night under 20s belter, Ireland edging out the Italians, 23-22, largely thanks to a young cove wrecking ball named Sean Adogbo. Jeff, like, again, just an absolute epic down in Musgrave Park. Game-winning try and player of the match, both from Cork. But unfortunately for Ben O'Connor, it's his monster teammate. His, his name is on everyone's lips. I think everyone knows the name Sean Adogbo now after after that try. Yeah, there was a try he had for UCC that did the rounds. Was that last season or earlier this season as well? Last and season, again, I think, yeah. Oh, it was like he was running on fast forward. But when you're that size and that athletic... You're going to grab headlines, I suppose. But the tackle for me was probably the winger for Italy. Uh, forgive me now, I don't know his name. You're running, what was it? 70 odd metres, beating his own fullback, falling over and actually catching that. I mean, I think I tweeted at the time, but I mean it like if I did something like that in a game, I would literally walk around showing people. Like, um, it's 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 a shame. Well, this sounds weird, like, but I, I suppose we we had a game there. Um, I was at a game the northeast under sixteen girls there played. Um, in Leinster played. I think it was it Midlands or Southeast girls. Um, a few weeks ago anyway, and there was a tackle like that back from that one of the northeast wingers managed to track back about sixty seventy odd meters, and they were behind by about twelve points at the time. And she managed to track back about 60, 70 metres and made the tackle and ended up getting a turnover off it and, and ultimately won the game. And I remember I was talking to their coach afterwards and uh, he was saying, you know, oh, it was brilliant, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, listen, it's that tackle that won you the game. Like you might have been behind at the time, but that's what won it. And it kind of had that feel as well. Um, and I know Italy didn't win it. And as a, as an Irish fan, I suppose, I'm, I'm delighted they didn't. But if they did go on to win it, regardless of how outrageous their score was or you know how well they built it up or anything like that it would have been that tackle that had won that game for me so it was um certainly a moment and it's I believe he's on Benetton's books as well and they're after signing another two between Lina and um Matt Gallagher as well so it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Benetton next season between all of them playing but it's um it was a hell of a game, yeah. But I mean, a dog bow on the wing to win that. I mean, yeah. Like he, he, I think once he starts breaking through, um, and his and his older brother gets a run of time and gets a run of luck, I suppose, an injury free at that level, to have the two of them involved, it's going to be something serious to see. Um, but yeah, I know it was a good win. Uh, I only saw it after the fact. I didn't see it Friday night at all, so I only saw it after the fact. But. They're they're really putting it together now. I mean, Irish under twenties usually always do, you know. Um, Richie Murphy runs them really well. Um, and again, we talked about freedom there. Um, in terms of the Welsh crowd, but it's very much kind of the same with the Irish under twenties. He recognises that they're only young lads, and 
I suppose, gives them that autonomy to be young lads on the pitch at the same time. I think he said as much after that Italy game, you know, he said, we, we have to remember as they're young men, like they're only 18, 19, they will make mistakes, etc. And it's about creating an environment where making mistakes is acceptable. You know, it's part of the course and everyone's going to make a mistake in a game. It's, it's, it is what it is, but allowing them to do so and not feeling too pressured as a result of it, I think is great too. And it, and it probably goes a long way to the style of rugby we see them play. You know, you're not going to be adventurous, etc. if you think that you're going to be berated for doing something wrong. So that's a credit to Richie Murphy too. But overall, yeah, it was a good game. Um, but that, that tackle for me was 100% the moment of the game. Probably was. I know the Adagbo try was brilliant, etc. But that tackle was... Um, was was geez was a level above. I think if we saw that in um if we saw that from I don't know Hansen or if we saw that from a, a, a seasoned international um adult player, you know the internet would probably blow up. You know, so um that's probably the the best compliment you can give it. But yeah, it was a good it was a good win all the same, and then they march on now as well. Yeah, and just on Italy as well because like they're. Their rise has been evident the last couple of years. Like they bet England last year, probably should have beaten France last year in the other twenty six nations. And like this performance again further highlights that progression more. And like it's more than just the individual class of someone like Scalabran or the Garbisi brothers of years gone by. Like ultimately they're getting things right. And I suppose from just as a rugby fan in general, Jeff, like that's it's good to see. It's good to see everything starting to click on a on a suppose a case by case basis or at least a step by step basis no it is like um the big question for me now is when we want that to translate across to the the senior italian team we mentioned there benetton signed line and gallagher etc there as well they signed fecato last year but i think a big problem is that a number of players want to go to benetton not zebra for obvious reasons first off but it's also the fact that because Italy only have two pro teams, you're either going to get a, you're either going to go abroad, maybe, or you're not going to get as much game time as you would with Benetton. Now, if you look at Benetton, they're sitting second in URC. That's fantastic, etc. And I'm not knocking it, but you'd have to question of these young guys coming through, etc. Even if they do go to Benetton, how much time are they going to see to develop? Is that maybe a problem in regards to the senior team? translating across is that a lot of their guys aren't getting a chance to develop um, because they're not getting the game time because the squad sizes are so big. So it's it's just an interesting one in that direction. But again, it's for probably a better mind than me to discuss. Yeah, that's fair enough. And we might just round things off with yourself, Yeston, because Ireland play Wales obviously in, in the senior, but also in the other 20 in, in Cork in two weeks' time. But we probably don't know a lot about this Welsh team, so you just want to give us what we should expect from our from our round three opponents, the the under twenty side of things. That is, uh, yeah. Um, there's obviously like the senior squad. There's obviously a lot of young players in there, but there's obviously with the under twenties, there's been a couple of players who have had experiences in the URC and the Champions Cup. You got Cardiff Open side flanker Lucas Delarua, who was, you know, he featured for Cardiff against Toulouse in the Champions Cup, which with the state of Toulouse, that's like an international game with the amount of players that they've got in their in their ranks. Um, then you've got someone like Harry Ackerman, who's obviously had a bit of game time at the Dragons. 
Um, he's 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 the captain of the under twenties at the moment, and he's he's been on good form. And you know we've seen him a couple of times with the Dragons in the Challenge Cup and the URC. And then obviously you've got number eight Morgan Moss, who's we've all seen clips of him doing the rounds. Obviously the yeah. the the, uh, the the one at Bridge End where he scores in a uh, a rather muddy field, and then obviously he grabbed an interception try for the Ospreys out in South Africa against the Lions in the a couple of weeks later in the Challenge Cup. Um, so you've got those three who have got quite a lot of regional experience behind them. I can clearly see that when they go into the 20 setup. You can see, you know, they're, they're all working well. They're all playing well up to that standard. You know, more scored against Scotland. Ackerman's obviously their captain. And he's been playing well over the first two games. Maybe not the result they wanted against England, but I thought the defence was, was very strong, even though they did concede uh, 28 points in the end. They, they defended really well on a whole, um, as just the England set-piece kind of got on top of them. And then you've got someone like uh, Harry Wilds, who's a young Cardiff fly half. He seems a bit bit hit and miss at the moment, relatively young, um, and and he's, he's hopefully, you know, to develop this tournament and continue playing for, for Cardiff Irish in the Welsh Premiership and then obviously making that step up. Um, but there's... You know, there's quite a lot of good talent there. You know, who who Anderson uh, scored against England, ran a really nice line. But you've got the the trio of Morse, Delarue and Ackerman who are, are all, you know, regional experience. Then you've got someone like Johnny Green as well from Harlequins. Uh, you know, a second row who's who's not afraid from getting stuck in those rolling malls. So it's going to be quite exciting to see how he develops. But I think it could be a struggle for Wales, especially in that set piece. We wait to see. Hopefully, it's another exciting contest down in Cork in round three, and we'll be sure to to look back over it again when the when it comes around. But we will leave it at that tonight, gentlemen. It's been really, really enjoyable. So thanks to Jeff and Yeston for taking the time to join me this evening. Thanks very much, lads. Thanks for having me. Oh, no worries at all. And I will be back uh, later this week with our interview with Alex Nankivell. That's also on the Red Army podcast feed right now. If you want to go and get to it a little bit earlier than it has been previewed but anyways that is all we have time for this evening so if you do like what you see or here please do like subscribe leave a review you know you know the gist now it all makes a difference apparently and you can find the links to the lad stuff down below as well as that so for now and until next time take it easy sports social podcast network